Hey there everybody, live from the mobile miniature wargaming and miniature painting studio, I am your trusty co-host, always around except when I'm not, Mongoose Kikimura, and with me today on this wonderful day out of state is Jack Karanet. Good evening everyone, I'm currently LARPing as a smallpox blanket today, so... Oof. And with us today, we have a very special guest, good friend of the show, and a good buddy of mine, as always, Clement Voroshilov. How you doing, Clement? Doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing good. So, uh, yeah, how was everybody's uh, week this week uh, in terms of uh, miniatures and traditional gaming stuff? Uh, Jack, how was yours? Did you get any good games in? Uh, yeah, no, none. Uh, I was supposed to, but I had to cancel, unfortunately. It's probably going to get rescheduled for next week, so. Yeah, I get that. What about you? I've been having my, my players have been, uh, hassling me for, uh, setting lore as usual, um, because, uh, we're about to start a new, uh, campaign here, so Mongoose has to get his, uh, setting lore all in order, you know? Hey, sometimes it doesn't necessarily need to be all in order, but we can we can get into that later. Yeah. Then um, today we actually had a good time. We uh, played a uh, played a game of flames, me and Clement. So that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Hmm. What what was the uh, what was the game specifically? Well, the game the game was a uh, so it was a one hundred point one on one hundred point mid war game, and we were playing using the new um, objective cards where you draw your objectives randomly from a deck, uh, and play with those as opposed to an actual set mission, and that was uh, that was what we did. So I rolled up with um, a German Panzer Grenadier company, and I had two platoons. Of Panzer Grenadiers, each with the anti-tank rifle upgrade, a HQ and a on a half track was uh, oh those were half tracked platoons. I had um, foot HMGs or um, heavy machine guns with no transports, uh, seven and a half centimeter um, infantry guns. I had four of those, four ten and a half centimeter howitzers. Um, let me think, uh, three martyrs. Three uh, SDKFC two two twos and two two threes, um, and one Ferdinand heavy tank destroyer, and that was uh, that was my army. Oh yeah, and I had an observation post, but that doesn't really bear mentioning. Hmm. Clement, what'd you bring? Um, I um I brought a guards hero rifle battalion with um two companies of um rifle MG teams. Um, an SMG um, unit, another company, separate. And then for my armor, I brought three Valentines um, and some T-34s, as per usual. 76mm um, artillery guns, CIS-3s. Then some howitzers, 122mm guns. Same sort of deal, but heavier. Um, let see what else. You had, um, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, so you had some Valentines, you had a bunch of infantrymen, some Maxim guns, and then you had anti-tank Zis threes. That's right, the Maxims. Yep, Maxims that you hadn't yeah. taken in part of as part of your uh, platoons. Just a Maxim company. Yeah, they were in my formation. 
Yep. Uh, so when you were, um, so I, he had rolled for first platoon deployed, then we swapped unit for unit, then, uh, I actually rolled to go first, mm -hmm. which I wouldn't have necessarily wanted in this mission, because I would have been able to bombard first had I gone second, and I was kind of hoping to get attacks on his howitzers, but fortunately that kind of worked out in my favor just based on the way the rolls went. Um, my first objective was to destroy a unit, so I selected a unit that cost more than nine points to get the bonus points on the objective, and I had selected his valentines. And he rushed his T-34s up the center of the board where I had scouted forward and uh, scout deployed a lot of my army. And I was able to take, uh, I was able to pick apart that T-34 unit very early on in the game, which really, I think, sort of hurt Clement a lot in the long run. It kind of lost him a lot of his momentum, a lot of his army mobility, and kind of broke his morale a little bit. And it won me a shot of vodka. <laughs> oh, so you were playing a little bit of Drunk Hammer then. A little bit, a little bit. There were very light shots. This was not a uh, let's get absolutely hammered. Oh no, yeah, I got we a made it into a drinking. Game. Made it into a drinking game where for each victory point, um, the recipient of the victory point would have to take a shot of vodka. I uh, it was a fairly one-sided game. Unfortunately, it's it's always more fun yeah. when the games are a kind of um, when when a game is kind of more close, you know. Mm-hmm. Because then it's like an actual game competition and all that. This was just kind of, I rolled really well. Clement didn't roll so well. He rushed with those T-34s. I got off a uh, an ambush maneuver with my um, martyrs and just sort of eviscerated the unit. It really was not a, it, that really sort of won and lost the game. Now, now I have a question, actually. Do the Valentines, do they, uh, do they read poetry to the opposing uh, squads or... <laughs> Or or what? Do do they prefer flowers and chocolate, perhaps? Um, they fling two pound rounds from their um barrels, but that's about all they do. Yeah, they have two pounders in them, don't they? Mm -hmm. It's a respectable cannon in the Middle War. So they send valentines, is what you're telling me. <laughs> Specifically made out to the enemy. I I assume that's a little bit spicier than milk chocolate. You can conceive of it that way, yeah. <laughs> okay. Very explosive valentines. Well, depending on your round select. Wait, valentines don't have explosive rounds. Never mind. They have armor piercing, don't they? Yeah, armor piercing. Yeah. Well, in that in that iteration, yeah, they don't have access to HE. Mm -hmm. Um. No, the. Uh... It was a very, it was a fun game, but it, it definitely was one of those games where it's just like I rolled really well, my opponent didn't roll so well. It was like ah, oh, whatever. <sighs> you know, you get those games every once in a while where it's just like ah, oh, we were gonna play a game, and then it's just like it was just the rolls. I had fun. Um, I mean, I did too. It's just like it's always more fun when the game is close. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. The. Uh... But so so, was there was there any? I mean, you may have already gone over this, but uh, but I guess was there a specific reason why it wasn't close? I did um, kind of squander my T thirty four platoon early on, and about twenty nine, I think, of my points were sunk into that, which is almost a third of my army, which is really, I think, a testament to how overpriced those T thirty fours really are in mid war. At least that that was my takeaway from the game. 
Um, I could have played them better, I think. I was too hasty with them. You know, I'm used to playing T-34s in late war, just kind of trying to throw them at the enemy as fast as I can, um, get them up close and personal before like they can pick off too many. Um, yeah, it didn't work so well here. Well, that sucks. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I, I actually, Clement and I disagree heavily on the T-34 question. I think that they're actually pretty, f they're, they're fine. You just have to play them more like medium tanks in the late war than the way you, or sorry, in the mid war. You have to play them a little bit more conservatively in the mid war than you do in the late war because they're not really a horde unit. They're, they're an investment medium tank unit that you would actually use to, you know, kill things and uh, do stuff. Um, they're the kind of unit you keep far away to kind of tie up uh, a, a unit on, a, on, a, on the long range while you flank it with something, you know, maybe a little bit lighter, maybe a little bit faster, or maybe even another unit of T-34s if you have it, right? Well, there's two problems with that that I see. The first is its range, which is rather short, uh, only 24 inches. Uh, most German tanks have 32 inches. Um, the second problem I see with that is the T-34 is designed to go super fast. That's part of why its cost is high. Um, if you're like just keeping it kind of in one place, you're not really utilizing that great capability. It's a flanking tank is what it is. Well, if it's, a, if it's a flanking tank, then maybe you would take a ton of Valentines and then tie up the opponent at, at range or just sort of bring those up the center while you flank with your T-34s then, right? That would be the play to make. Now we're talking. Yeah, then, then maybe that's how you would approach the problem rather than actually just taking them and trying to rush them at the opponent. I think they're perfectly right. fine at six points. If you're just using them the way they're intended or the way that they, they would work best in that capacity, I think they're they're perfectly fine. Yeah, I would maybe take two platoons of T-34s because you need two, I guess, units to flank, to do a flanking attack. You know, one to tie them up and the other to go around. Um, Valentines, they have AT-7. Like, that's not going to do much against the frontal armor of most things. Unless we're talking about the six-pounder Valentines, but you can't take very many of those. Yeah, you you want well. The idea would be they have to sort of pick what they want to face their front armor towards, right? It's to force them to make a decision, right? You yeah. want them both coming in at, at different angles to kind of force the enemy to angle his armor in a way that's advantageous to you at some point. Um, he's probably going to angle towards the T-34s, which means you just get those shots from the Valentines. But either way, you're still trying to get those side shots, or you could not even bother with the valentines take more of a t-34 centric formation and then maybe take some su-100s or something and try to tie them up that way at long range maybe with a longer ranged heavier gun yeah that makes perfect sense i would also consider next time i think or if i had the models running t-70s instead of t-34s i think they're a better value and that was something you talked about after our game is that, you know, the meta currently favors lighter tanks, lower points cost faster, you know. Yeah, it is kind of unfortunate, but the way the game is sort of set up now, it really favors these like multiple small units of very small vehicles very quickly. Like some of the better German lists are just spamming recon cars and, um, you know, maybe one or two really heavy vehicles like a, like a Ferdinand or a Tiger. 
I can those those kind of lists are the kinds of ones you're going to see more often in tournaments than than even in casual play because in casual play you're not really thinking about that like how do I make the most bizarre like light vehicle spam list but that's the uh, that's the way people have wanted to run now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of you know heavy tanks myself. I like built a ton of them for late war. Um, but the only like real heavy tank the Soviets have in mid-war, um, as far as I know, is just the KV-1. Yeah, the KV-1's pretty good. And they're still pretty good. I mean, like, how many points is a KV-1? Um, it's like eight. Yeah, it's eight points. Uh, comparatively, I mean, that's uh, that's the same as a Sherman tank. Huh. That's a pretty good value, because um, if you have that much armor, then the lack of relative skill compared to say a Sherman or a Panzer IV doesn't really matter that much because you're not going to be taking those um, bail-in checks anyway. No, you're not. You're not going to be taking, you're not going to be like taking a lot of, uh, a lot of damage from most things. Cause again, on average, you're, you're most of your AT in the mid war is going to be like AT nine. Uh, sometimes I'll, if people are spamming light vehicles, there's going to be a lot of AT seven. Um, you're gonna you're gonna be really hurting, uh, hurting those kinds of lists very hard with those kind of tanks they can't crack. When you show up with that, and I'm just running around with some like German scout cars and a single Tiger, and you show up with some KV ones that can actually shrug off Tiger shots reasonably, like the way a like T34 could theoretically shrug off a shot from another T34. Right. I'm uh, I'm starting I'm I'm starting to quake in my boots. That's a that's a very intimidating thing. Now I don't really run lists like that with the tiger, but um, if I did, that would be something I I it'd keep me up at night. Uh, is all I'm saying. That'd be very intimidating. Yeah, the thing with Soviet heavies is they're very like slow, clumsy, and conspicuous bastards that are easy to hit, but they can shrug off just about anything except the highest caliber weapons. I mean, it is really good. You know, right? I, 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 again, I think you should really take, uh, you should take more KV once in the mid-war. Really, uh, it's a better vehicle than a lot of things the Soviets have to offer. And if you're just worried about something that can take a frontal assault, you can't do worse than the KV, and it can keep time with the troops, which is important. Yeah, I'm a bit worried about how that would play against, um, you know, the big, big old Ferdinand. Now that everyone's taking them. Yeah, the Ferdinand is going to shape up to be quite a bit of a problem because of how cheap it is comparatively and how bi- how heavy its armor is. Ferdinand's got like, it's got, it's Ferdinand, uh, I don't know how to put this in like 40k terms for the listening audience really easily. I think we might have alienated quite a few of them with this discussion so far. <laughs> Ferdinand is like a Bane Blade uh, is the best way to think of it. Yeah. Although, although I'm very, very hesitant to do any kind of any kind of a uh, comparisons like that, due to the fact that 40k no longer has armor sides and things like that. Yeah, it's difficult because you could theoretically hurt anything in 40k with anything. With Flames of War, the Ferdinand is impenetrable from the front. Oh, just just straight up impenetrable. Like straight up, it'd be like having an armor value like 17 and. Well, it has an armor value of 17, but it'd be like having an armor value of like something like uh, 17 in, or something like armor value 16 in 6th uh, edition 40k. 
yeah. where they, they can only glance you from the front. Like, they can only do the Flames of War equivalent of a glancing hit from the front of the uh, Ferdinand. They can they can uh, do a bailout. Yeah. Um, the Ferdinand does bail in on a 5-up, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a reluctance, so you have to roll a 5 or higher to bail it in. So it's really... So bailouts, yeah, are somewhat effective against it compared to, like... Because normally when you get bailed out, you're like, whatever, who cares? I'm just going to rebail in at some point. Yeah. But with the Ferdinand, that could take you enough turns that by the time you do bail back in, they might like have infantry to assault it or something. And that really is a problem because the way assaults work in Flames of War is you can actually sort of encircle the Ferdinand. And if it ever at any point decides it's... Now, infantry can't really kill it effectively, but one one thing that it will do is if the infantry aren't killing it but the ferdinand decides to run away because it, it can just randomly decide to run away because you have to take a motivation check to to go back into an assault and the ferdinand's motivation check is a five or higher so it's likely that it's going to run away at some point and if it decides to run away it has to move so that it's six inches away from any assaulting team within its tactical movement but the ferdinand can only tactical move eight inches so if you have like i don't know three or so inches thick of assaulting teams kind of surrounding this thing with Russians. That's not hard to do because of how many dudes you have. But if you've got that, he cannot physically run away fast enough to where the infantry will not be close enough to him to capture him. So he will just be captured by default, even if they don't even damage him at all. He'll just be captured and that's the end of the tank. I mean, even if he is bailed out and infantry assault him, if you just assault a bailed out tank, you capture it by default because it can't fight back. That's what I was getting at. It's one of the few ways that you can really deal with the Ferdinand. We can deal with the Ferdinand by dropping smoke on it. You can deal with it with airplanes if you've taken those. Not if you're a Soviet with the smoke. Oh, no, you Soviets don't have smoke. You can box it in with other vehicles. Uh, if you have like cheap vehicles, you can't move through enemy tanks, um, and the, there's no limit as to how close an enemy tank can get to you. So you just put a T-34 on every side of this thing; and it can't move. I feel like this is just going to result in people taking like, I don't know, like units of like ten T-70s in their lists and just like rushing them all around a Ferdinand to try and encircle it. I mean. Yeah, that that would work, and that that's what you should do. I mean, <laughs> if if it works and it's stupid, don't. I mean, it's not stupid. Then it's then it works. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. The Ferdinand's a big scary thing, and you know it's a little bit undercosted. I'll give it that probably about like one or two points, and maybe even three. What I'm getting at is when a game makes it so that you have to like. So that stupid strategies like that actually become like one of the viable ways and like even a desirable way to deal with an opponent. I feel like that says that there's something wrong with the game in that regard. Yeah, I mm, well, I think the idea of having a uh, the I think that having a, a tank that can't be killed from the front is valuable because it sort of adds diversity to the game. Because here's the thing is, uh, you, you have a lot of things in, uh, in games, especially in Flames, everything can just be killed straight from the front. As American, I think it's really more of a problem with a lot of, well, I think it's a problem endemic to you because you don't take a lot of the high anti-tank Soviet stuff and you don't really try to, um, 
one of the ways you play against Ferdinands is you try to force them into to moving into terrain where they they're very bad because they have poor cross ratings. The, and the other thing you can you can force them to do is you can uh, you can force them to sort of maneuver around and such. Um, and they're not a very good maneuver tank. One of the ways you would kill a Ferdinand is if you just start flanking them with two or three units. If you can get that to go down. He he's going to start sweating because his side armor isn't as good as it used to be. So he theoretically could be just sort of dunked on by your uh, by anything that has an AT of like nine or higher on that side armor of seven. That's right, and I think really like probably the best weapon for that would be in fact the T thirty four because it's the most mobile, best flanker. Um. T70 can flank, but it's only got, well, AT7. That's not going to do anything against the Ferdinand. So maybe I was too dismissive of the T34 now that I think about it. Well, I was really worried when you started rolling your T34 straight up the field. I was really worried that you were actually going to do the smart thing and kind of try to flank around my Ferdinand and start giving me a hard time there. And if you'd done that, I would have probably had a... Infinitely more. I might have even lost the game because the thing is, is if you get those T-34s right up next to the Ferdinand, it's done because you're going to you're going to be able to get flanking shots easily all over the place. It's hit on a three up. It's not four up like most German vehicles. So when you've got that uh, that overworked, you're just hitting it on a four. That's like an unmodified normal German vehicle. It's a 50 50 chance. You can run circles around it. You're always going to be getting those flank shots. It's only going to be having one shot per turn at your unit, so you know you you can have a good two three turns of decent shooting at it, provided you've maneuvered yourself and or cornered it in an area that isn't really accessible to the German player's other anti tank fire, or you're just screening with a tank he can't shoot through to guard your other tanks. You know you you're going to give him a horrible time, horrible time. Yeah, well, the reason I kind of hesitated to do that is um you kind of kept him back a bit and your infantry were kind of to his sides and i couldn't really move my tanks through those um another problem with that is or just flanking in general you can't dash within eight inches of an enemy tank with your tank yeah which i think is a bit weird but you can tactical move but then if you're tactical moving from eight inches, I mean, you've got like 10 inches. It's kind of hard to flank like that. Is there any reason why you can't do that other than the fact that, like, I guess you could flank a tank easier with another tank? Uh, you can't dash within eight inches of an enemy unit. Oh. Are you asking me if that's a thing? Yeah, because I've never, I've never heard that rule. I don't play Flames of War, so, so you, you might have to explain that to me. Oh, uh, well, I'm not like mongoose. Can you is is that a thing? Um, because I was playing with Mauser and we came to the consensus that you know that was a rule that I couldn't dash within eight inches of his tanks with mine. But is that a th- thing in mid war at least? I don't think that's a thing in any of the rules. If I if I had to guess, uh, um, I okay. could look that up really fast right now. But I don't think that's a thing. That doesn't sound right to me. Oh. I must be mistaken. There might no, no. I actually wait a second. No, that is a rule. You can't dash within eight inches of an enemy unit. Period. That's right. Oh, any enemy unit. Okay. Yeah, that is a thing. Interesting. 
that really makes it hard to do flanking maneuvers though and it kind of makes things a bit awkward and more complicated because what's the tactical maneuver on a t-34 it's 10 inches so if you if you dash up into that eight inches and then close it off with the 10 inches you're you're doing pretty good i mean that's a two-turn roll up which is about what most people are doing um but you just you're able to put like the since the t-34 can dash so far you're able to put it at a, a longer distance away and kind of bait your opponent out uh and get on him a lot faster than a lot of other uh units can or you can even make a wider turn arc where you you arc in way from the side using that very long distance of travel as opposed to just heading straight for him at an angle that's true there's a lot of ways you can go about it i think um i've never been a very good flanker it's not a strategy that that i've really perfected to any degree yeah, I the the most the most I do with flanking is when I play Americans, I always take like a, a full unit of Stuarts. And what usually ends up happening there is I hold the Stuarts somewhere and then decide what I'm going to send them after, and then just like run the Stuarts up the board as fast as I can. Uh and then once I've once once I'm close enough, they just start opening fire. Normally I'll take out, you know, something worth about the unit of Stuarts in terms of points. And they'll uh, they'll freak my opponent out, throw him off his game, and kill a few things. So usually it ends up working out okay for me. Excellent. So Jack, how does um how does it work in Warhammer? Do the same <laughs> like similar circumstances apply where flanking is like with vehicles is a viable tactic? Well, I mean, I I guess it depends on what <clears throat> what you want to get out of it because there are no armor facings for the vehicles so it doesn't really matter i mean i guess you could remove their cover save but it doesn't really matter for vehicles per se it matters more for infantry because uh because it's more sometimes it's more important and you know you also have uh melee combat in 40k so it's more important sometimes to get uh so you know if you have a squad of dudes that are charging into another squad of dudes you want to get uh you want to get his squad of dudes you know get it get it wrapped with your models so that they can all fight, you know, rather than, rather than do the, uh, do the Spartan strategy where you're, where you're being forced through a small tunnel. So, I mean, I mean, to a certain extent, it does still, uh, it is still good for you to, um, to flank, uh, vehicles, especially if you want to get them out of, uh, you know, out of position, because uh, a lot of times people will try to hide their vehicles behind buildings. So by flanking them, you're able to get a better angle on them. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's probably not, not, the, uh, not the same. But it does matter um, in some circumstances, I guess, which direction you come at your opponent from. What do you mean exactly? Like if I if I if I charge them from like the back flank, yeah, rather than the front flank, that's obviously going to be advantageous, I think, right? Uh, I mean it. it it's well, it's, Clement. Most things in 40k act like flames of war infantry in terms of yeah. facing. 
yeah exactly i mean like like don't get me wrong it's probably a good idea for you to infiltrate behind their lines and then flank them right oh yeah you can still shoot through uh you can still shoot through uh friendlies in warhammer right now you can yeah you didn't used to be able to do that but now you can you can shoot through uh friendlies so it's not it's it's not that big you've been able to do that since like fourth or third edition i thought i thought seventh edition had a thing where if you know where if you if you get down uh at the table level and trace it out and if there were friendly models no that was i'm fairly certain that wasn't a thing and maybe one of our listeners could help us out with this because i don't have my seventh edition rule books with me or i'll go home and check it uh later i'll get back to you guys on that <laughs> i'll leave it in the show notes or something if it was a home rule for me we did at least give the the target cover i do know like like if you had to shoot through your own models he's still got cover cover so yeah so yeah i mean like yeah 40k is much more about like positioning and about uh unit movement and all that in order to take advantage of like the the (laughs) combat rules Hmm? well that that's kind of every war game though i mean that's what we were just spent uh an inordinate amount of time talking about with flames of war is like well is the T-34 overcosted or undercosted? And we came to the conclusion that theoretically it's not overcosted because in circumstances its movement is useful. Well, yeah, right. I mean I mean I mean like like the the important part of that statement was the latter half, right? Like in order to take take advantage of you know, the fighting rules or the shooting the rules. The fighting rules change from game to game, and that's really where the movement yeah. the way you have to approach movement is gonna change. Right. 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 So like when Clement and I are talking about flanking, flanking is huge in Flames of War because when you get side shots, you are gaining access to a lot of advantage over enemy armor. And Flames of War is a very sort of armor-centric game in a lot of ways. Yeah, I guess I guess the uh I guess the bottom line is you need to have like a like a strategy or a goal, I guess. A goal would be a better word for it where like what are you doing with this with this flanker? Are you going to uh are you just going to move him up the board into a more, uh, you know, you know? Are you gonna are you gonna put your flanker in a building that's you know where he's going to get shot up, or would you rather put him behind your lines, you know, because you don't need him to flank? Like, what are the what what are the rules telling you? That really kind of gets back to our general strategy episode, and part of that is really you're gonna have to think about like. Um, I think one of the things you you sort of develop as a player over time is over time you kind of figure out this is the this is how I deal with this unit in this circumstance this is how I deal with this unit with this this is how I do this this is how I do that right so one of the things uh Clement has sort of figured out is he can kind of kill half tracks effectively using um using artillery even though this isn't a artillery friendly edition and since I became from an edition that was really artillery heavy and i'm assuming that and since artillery got nerfed when i look at artillery now i um i just don't really see it as much of a threat anymore because compared to what it used to be able to do versus what it does now it's just no comparison so when he's like oh i'm gonna range in on your half tracks 
I don't really realize how bad that actually is until he's like killed three of them <laughs> with just howitzer fire alone. And I'm like, oh yeah, now I remember. <laughs> you get those flashbacks to playing the American player who's like, he shows up and he's got like two minimum sized like infantry platoons. And then like the rest of his army is just howitzers. And you're like, oh no, not this guy. <laughs> I mean, it used to be in Flames, um, back last edition, there was a certain type of American list where the uh, the guy would show up with the bare minimum he needed to take, because there was no, like, core formation, so, like, you were, every unit counted towards your uh, towards your overall sort of, you know, am I, am I doing okay in terms of morale or not? And so, like, he, the, the, these dudes would show up with these American lists where they'd have, like, 100 million like artillery pieces and like maybe two infantrymen uh and it would just be awful and they would just slam you and cream you and like just chew you up into a pulp and like it was just horrible oh yeah and that was uh those were the also the the high time days of uh stormtroopers movements where germans would randomly just get free moves at the end of their turn if they rolled high enough on a skill check and it applied to literally everything in their army so you'd like have the german player do a bunch of dumb maneuvers to get shots off on you shoot them win them all pass all the stormtrooper maneuvers and then like next turn you literally have line of sight on nothing in his entire army and the entire game would go like that sometimes <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't I can't help but think back to when I used to use uh, scouts, uh, Space Marine scouts, right? And uh, this was back before I was learning how to play the game. And uh, I would infiltrate them forward, right? And they had sniper rifles. There was no reason for me to infiltrate them forward, except for the fact that they had a special rule where they could infiltrate forward, right? So then they just get shot up and die. <laughs> yeah, as they do. <laughs> So it's like it's like, huh? Maybe, you know, maybe I don't need to use that ability. <laughs> maybe I can just keep them in the back and use their sniper rifles. Oh yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you should not use a special ability, right? I don't, I don't care if it's like, you know, uh, special cloaking, uh, you know, res orb nine thousand. You can't. You shouldn't. You shouldn't be. Uh, if you shouldn't be there because the unit's just going to die, then don't put the unit there, you know? I mean, yeah, I've learned that the hard way, trying to learn how to use martyrs, because I'm not used to very fragile anti-tank units. I'm normally used to the the core of my anti-tank being uh, AT guns and um, sort of tanks, medium tanks. So the, the idea of a, a sort of light vehicle that has very heavy anti-tank capabilities is sort of new to me. And so I'm having to learn it the hard way, and that I've learned that the I've learned the don't overextend your light units the hard way over and over and <laughs> over again with them. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess that's uh that's Jack's uh that's Jack's tip of the week. Don't overextend your scouts with sniper rifles. When you put sniper rifles on your scouts, do not infiltrate them forward. That's Are the sniper is sniper rifles still really good in a 40k, or is it just like mediocre and trash again? Uh, so depends. 
it depends and and i know that a lot of a lot of i don't know a lot of people probably have this opinion of the basic sniper rifle on the scouts that they're not all that good i actually think that they are pretty good as long as you can you know keep firing with them and not and not tire out um <clears throat> because all it does now is it's basically a uh it's basically a bolt gun, right? It's got the same amount oh, of no. strength. Yeah, I know. I know. It's got oh. the same amount of strength, except except you could get a little bit more armor penetration on a, on a two-hit roll of six. And on a two-wound roll of six, you deal a mortal wound in addition to whatever wound you have. Uh. And, I, I, I mean, I guess, I guess the big uh, motivator for taking it is that you can also shoot characters with it without yeah, yeah. while while ignoring that rule uh space marine snipers are probably well un- uh, unless you're talking about the shadow spear snipers i haven't i haven't seen those being played but the uh, adeptus mechanica snipers are way better because uh because they get d3 shots and uh strength seven which means that it's uh it's it could theoretically snipe a character vehicle from all the way across, <laughs> still do a, a good amount of damage. It's, it deals D three damage. So Admech snipers are probably the best snipers in the game. Hilariously enough, yeah, it used to be sniper rifles were really good. Uh, yeah, I still think so. For the record, I still think sniper rifles are good because I've used it to take out, especially like. Eldar who have to have like a ton of smaller characters. I've I've used them to take out Eldar characters, like little warlocks and shit. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. I I still think they have their uses. It's just that yeah, you're right. They're not they're not like massively uh scary anymore, or at least most of them aren't. Yeah, no, I hate those things. I mean, I I always I remember when guard. I just you never had enough sniper rifles because you you could load your command teams up with them, and it was always useful. But uh, I miss I miss some of that. I mean the 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 40k sniper rifle was a lot of fun. The Flames of War sniper is just not as good. Yeah, I bet. I I, I bet I bet that a uh, real world uh, um, sniper rifle person prob- who isn't a space marine right is probably not as uh, not as cool. Not a uh, not comrade Vasily, hero of Soviet Union. Especially since the Admech sniper rifles have a little uh, is is the uh, tr- uh, Arkbus, the uh, the ma- the massive barreled gun. Uh, here, let me let me try to find a picture for you. It's kind of a hilarious gun. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, flamethrower snipers can teleport. It's pretty good. Hey, that's not bad. Teleporting snipers. No, not not bad at all. Uh, when you get them, when you get them close, and they can kind of do that sort of attack thing where they shoot somebody and then everybody's pinned down. That's always nice when it goes off. When it doesn't work, <laughs> it's, it's just a tragedy and a waste of two points. Yeah, I kind of I kind of miss the pinning rules in 40k. Oh, they removed pinning. Yeah, 40k used, Wait, uh, in seventh edition. They used to have pinning rules. Now they now they don't have any pinning rules. So, well, Clement, as we know, Flames of War actually literally just revolves around pinning, basically. <laughs> Which I mean, honestly, this is how Real War is 
kind of you know it kind of revolves around pinning yeah i mean that is, that is kind of how it works but still there you go there's a lot of suppressive fire in real war which is pinning when you think about it right mongoose uh yeah yeah that is i don't really pin a lot of things with infantry fire though that's the thing yeah you end up you you end up really pinning things down with uh you end up pinning them down with heavy machine guns and mortars and artillery more often than not well very good very good did you did you look at the picture let me yeah, let me take a look at that yeah i i've seen those yeah with like the 1600s looking rifle oh yeah i uh i specifically painted mine to look like a like a a wooden stock uh gun kind of funny so yeah yeah that's pretty much that's pretty much all i have do you have do you have anything else uh not really like i don't know how we're doing on time <laughs> yeah i haven't i haven't kept track of it either it's gonna be a short episode this week it's it, that's fine yeah we're just like hey we're, we're putting something out there mongoose is gonna be really busy we can't record anything next week so we're just gonna put something out there this weekend because we can yeah mongoose yeah uh, there's a thing I wanted to ask you regarding your opinion of um, mid-war versus late-war. Yeah. I understand you're more of a mid-war fan right now. Yes. With all of like the jankiness that we've discussed with how the game incentivizes like lighter vehicles and, you know, like a specific playing style, does that affect your impression of mid-war at all? Uh, yes, 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 it does. Um, the difficulty is my problem with late war is that it's not balanced at all because it's using third edition points for a fourth edition rule set. And even beyond that, uh, late war has its own problems in favoring certain things. Um, late war is going to end up tending to favor uh, a certain kind of artillery and a certain kind of list from certain armies that are just sort of the same can't it's it's different cancer but it's it's all it's a lot worse because things are a lot more broken there um the mid-war people overstate the extent to which light vehicle spam is a thing uh, and there are certainly ways of dealing with it uh one of the one of the easiest ways is sort of if there's terrain choke points in a board if you just start shooting down a lot of your opponent's vehicles, they're just not going to be able to move around as much. And congratulations, they've they've started losing valuable time, especially if they're an attacker in a game. That's how that works. Uh, with late war right now, you you end up with a lot of these. I, I did the big cat lists like uh, the bridge over the Rhine and all that. Well, I forget the the exact name of the book, but the ones where the Americans are moving in and the Ramagan. Yeah, Bridget Ramagan, and you've got like these these like king tiger, not uh, yag tigers and shit. And no, like, come on. I mean, a lot of that like that stuff is way. You mean you mean the confident trained big cats or the reluctant trained or whatever? Yeah, the reluctant trained big cats that are like ridiculously ridiculously undercosted and still just as unkillable. I mean, come on. There's nothing in the mid war that is that bad. I mean, the Ferdinand is exactly that though it's 
No, it's pseudo reluctant. Um, it's pseudo reluctant. It has a veteran skill level. It's hit on a trained. Oh, but its motivation is like five up, which is like the same as reluctant. Like you said, pseudo reluctant. Yeah, in that in that case, yes, it does have a better unit last stand check, though. That's worth noting. I see. The 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 problem with the Ferdinand is it's it it's I would say the Ferdinand's undercosted by f- three points, but it's not like a uh, it's not like a reluctant trained. Um, and just so everybody knows, this is a it's a really good piece of equipment. And since Flames of War bifurcates on equipment and skill, you can lower cost effectively a lot by uh, by having um, very bad skill and good equipment. And the good equipment will mitigate that if it's really tough. And this is a tough tank, so it mitigates the problems of bad skill, which uh, which makes it incredibly good buy for the amount of points it is because of the way they scale the points in the system. So, no, I mean, I, I would say in late war it's a lot worse. And another thing late war has that I don't like is everything's really, really high AT, so medium tanks just tend to evaporate in late war. Uh, medium tank spam in late, like T-34 spam is to late war what T-70 spam is to mid war. I mean, if we're honest. I don't think medium tanks evaporate that quickly. Um, I think it it's there lifetime on the battlefield is more tied to their skill rating than to their armor rating uh i would say their lifetime in the battle it's the same way with light light vehicles in the in the mid-war though and i would say the uh the lifetime in the battlefield of any vehicle in flames is intrinsically linked to the skill level of the person wielding it rather than the skill of the crew in the tank rather if you if you kind of know how to mitigate shot uh, like shoot shooting and all that stuff by movement your uh, your vehicles are going to go a lot further in terms of uh, how how effective they are, you know. I getcha. I mean, he, the the late war versus mid war thing. Um, I have a lot of problems with the way late war is sort of worked out right now, just because of the way there there's just sort of been this like everything's kind of broken. Certain things are undercosted. Certain things are overcosted. Um, Brit artillery, for example, is really undercosted. Same with all the mortars. Mortars are really undercosted in late war, but other things are just like way overcosted, like a lot of tanks and other uh, other sundry items and pieces of equipment. Infantry are actually kind of undercosted in late war a little bit here and there, but you you get this. Uh, you get a lot of problems with it. That's just <sighs> I don't know. You said the Ferdinand isn't as badly undercosted, yeah, in mid war no. as it is in late war. No, no, no. The as as, as the Yag Tiger is comparing the Ferdinand to the Yag Tiger, uh, in Bridget Ramagan, the Yag Tiger lists. There's no comparison. Yeah. The Yag Tiger lists are worse. Just talking about those like super heavies in general. I think the Fer- we can kind of use the Ferdinand. Um, to refer to them in mid-war because that's the the most undercosted one. That's the only heavy tank in the mid-war that's actually worth taking. The other one is the Tiger. For, I yeah. mean, I'm just talking about Germans. The other one is a Tiger, and that's 29 points. The Ferdinand is only 17, right? That's so close to a fifth of your list. When you look at those um, King Tigers and Bridge at Remagen or whatever, I think they cost like 295 points for one, for like a confident trained one. Um, that's like a fifth of what the standard like late war points value is fifteen hundred, like three hundred. 
no, no, no. The, the um, see, here's the thing: is a king tiger itself is going to cost you 345 points in the late war. Okay, but that's like just over a fifth. I don't think they're costing uh 200 uh that that like closer to two 300 because a uh, a regular elephant will cost 300 points at a um confident veteran. So I think they're I I they're they're they've got to be cheaper than that. So you've got a a elephant in late war that costs 300 points. And the elephant in late war is not and it is not undercosted. It it is it is like the the confident veteran elephant is fine where it's at. Oh, what is undercosted? The king tiger? Uh, no, the king tiger is fine too. It's the uh, it's these bridge like when you when you're talking about the late late wars where they've got these things with like reluctant trained ratings as opposed to confident veteran. Um, when they've got these like sort of conscript conscript crews, and so they're they're getting them down to like two hundred points a model, uh, in some of the in some of the later books. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The cheapest I've seen is two ninety five. Yeah, I, I've I've seen cheaper. But I feel like if you're taking one of those lists, then there's other problems with that. Like not not really really bad in the way that like it's not like Ferdinand. Uh, it, it's it's nowhere as balanced as the Ferdinand. Is the thing about the Ferdinand is the Ferdinand is is around um what. <laughs> A fit. Uh, it's a, it's approximately on parity with uh, how much a uh, a an elephant is going to cost you in uh in, in the um Fortress Italy book, and the elephant is fairly balanced. They're both about a fifth of your list. Uh, the problem is is that the the problem intrinsically is that everything else for Germans is so overcosted compared to what what you get out of it, and the the board presence you get that there's no reason not to take it, and like there there are cases where people would be not taking it but the problem is it's going to see that dominance because it's i would say it's i think it's 2 to 3 points too cheap i i would agree with that the problem is is that even if it was still 2 to 3 points too cheap everything else that you're playing with is so horrible there's no reason not to run the ferdinand I'm not going to pay, you know, for a for a three to four tank unit. You want to have the three to four tank sized unit, right? I am not going to pay 39 points, like nearly a half my army cost, just shy of 11 points for three Stugs or three uh, Panzer IV Hs. I that's that's absurd. You know, I would re- much rather just take a, a single Ferdinand for 17 points, and it's going to be better, right? It, well, it's going to be better in terms of what I get versus what I've taken. Because when I, if I run up against a, an English player, he's just going to evaporate my uh, my Panzer IVs like it's nothing, or an American player who's just going to beat me up with. Uh, he's just going to beat the ever living crap out of me with Shermans that I can't compete with. Makes sense. Um, I kind of feel the same way about the Eel II Sturmovic as you do the Ferdinand. It's just such an effective unit. The difficulty is is that like the Ferdinand is in theory you can counter it with conventional anti-tank, right? Yeah. The Il 2 Sturmovic requires specialized units to counter, and even then it, it suffers from the endemic problems of all aircraft in the edition. 
uh, that it that it's, you just can't really effectively shoot them down. Uh, again, if it if it didn't require specialized units to shoot down, I'd be inclined to agree. But I do think those are two entirely separate issues. I gotcha. Well, sorry, I don't really have much uh, much commentary for that. We wouldn't want to hurt your sore throat too much this week, would we? Ah, uh, no, of course not. We're just kind of trying to give you a little bit of a week off, you know? Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Take care of your co-host. Your co-host will take care of you, right? Absolutely. You want to sign us off for this week, Jack? You want to get this thing in a can? Sounds good. Oh, wait. Not throw it away. That's not what I meant. I meant the, the Halberstramism. I forgot what it was. Uh, juice ain't worth the squeeze. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess uh, if that's all you two gentlemen had to say, then uh, I guess this has been Little Wars. Yeah, uh, this has been a Little Wars for this week. Um, Stay safe, everybody. Have fun gaming and take care. Yeah, watch out for those exacto knives. Much. A bully or local soy boy. Uh, signing off. Bye. Peace.